products. So people don't buy just a brand and a product, of course, just to cover themselves or to wear something. They buy a meaning, they buy some symbols that they want to use also to show their personality to the others and to interact with others. This is the Talent Show, a new podcast series from FT Talent, a hub of innovation from the Financial Times, hosted by under 30s for the under 30s around the world. This first series is in partnership with Bocconi University, a leading higher education institution of business and managerial advancements. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is the guide you need to drive innovation and change. Today, we are focusing on the fashion industry by talking with an expert who understands how storied brands can continue making beautiful products that are also culturally relevant. This is for any listener who loves dressing up, but is also interested in figuring out the language of fashion choices and why certain products can make you feel like a different person. Here is our conversation with Paola Cidlo, Professor of Marketing, Creativity, Innovation and Value Creation in Luxury Markets at Bocconi University. So Paola Cillo, that is connected from Bocconi. Hi, Paola, how are you today? Hi, Virginia, I'm doing well and thank you for having me. Professor Cillo has been part of the FT Talent Challenge in the past editions, actually the very first one that we did in partnership with Bocconi. And it's great now to see you here to give us tips and analyzing trends around the fashion industry. So the first question that I would have for you, Paola, how did you firstly become very interested in researching the fashion industry? What was your journey that led you then to be an expert in this field? That's a very good question because clearly, as uh, many of us here in Italy, you know, fashion is an industry that you look at because we used to have so many brands that have basically built uh, what is called the prêt-à-porter, they're ready to wear, while uh, in France is more relevant into the haute couture, so the high-end and customized product in fashion. Italy has really a very strong artisanal and savoir-faire ability into the prêt-à-porter. So brands like Prada, for example, or or uh, Gucci that is very popular nowadays, all brands that have been uh, part of the imagery of uh, many of us while growing. Actually, I started my PhD program. Uh, my field of investigation is innovation. The literature coming from the US, it was mostly high tech and pharmaceutical, especially pharmaceutical because it was uh, clearly like very easy to research because it was based on patterns. I thought, you know, what can I add from Italy? You know, probably I should leverage on something that is uh, unique about our country where we have a say, where we can make others understand what do we mean by innovation and creativity, because this is the most relevant part of this industry. And so I started doing my PhD to work, of course, on innovation, but basically twisting and approaching this phenomenon uh, by looking at innovation in uh, low-tech, high-touch industries. Uh, And in particular, I focused on uh, this concept that was quite unique at the time, that was the idea of symbolic innovation that is related to the industry of meaning. Because at the end of the day, you know, when a brand, especially a luxury brand into the fashion, puts out a product, is first of all an artistic product, and second, it has like some kind of symbols. So people don't buy just the brand and the product, of course, just to cover themselves or to wear something. They buy a meaning, they buy some symbols that they want to use also to show their personality 
responsibility to the others and to interact with others. This is basically like the path. So I said, okay, maybe I can say something interesting from the country I come from. And there, you know, I started to make research and uh, to uh, work together, of course, with companies, interviewing people, interviewing designers, interviewing people from the business. Uh, In this way, it started my uh, journey into the fashion business. I'm really glad that you touched upon this concept of symbolic industry and the meaning of creativity and culture. So when you are a global brand, how you can adapt to different cultures when symbols do take different meanings, depending on the cultural background where we are applying them for? What has been your take in the fashion industry? How you can adapt without losing authenticity of a brand, especially when you're talking about symbols? Yeah, this is a very good question because, you know, at the moment, now the brands are clearly global. And, you know, when I started to approach the industry, it was not uh, so, right? Because clearly the digital impact has been uh, so relevant for companies that has brought their offering, but also, you know, their image and reputation uh, across borders. I believe that each brand has its own values and its own meaning. So clearly what we have assisted in in the past years has been like a transformation of the brand from just, uh, you know, selling... uh, beautiful products to actually being culturally relevant for their the society uh, at large. At the end of the day, the creative directors are artists, right? They create a piece of art. This is a way through which they express themselves, their imagery, but they also somehow express the identity of the brand. I do believe strongly that brands and creative directors cannot, let's say, give up to this important role that they have within society. That is to tell their story from their angles from their point of view and from the point of view of the brand being culturally relevant from their perspective so taking like a position that implies of course making choices so you cannot probably like please everyone you are more probably interesting and relevant for some communities and less relevant for others but this is really like the choice that brands are doing now of course in this way they can be relevant probably not necessarily like geographically relevant for specific countries so they are relevant for communities of people that are communities that are across countries. I might speak more to certain communities than others independently from geographical position, let's say, of the country. And I think this is the part in which the brand express their identity, their authenticity, trying to please different countries based where the higher spending power is. I don't think it's a successful kind of strategy at the moment. Do you have one piece of clothing or let's call it like fashion art in this sense, that has inspired you? And can you tell us why? I think that piece of clothing that I like the most and I possess like hundreds of those are jeans. Because I think that the jeans is uh, of many different brands, uh, many different shapes and colors. Uh, I use them a lot in a more casual occasion, but also like sometimes in more formal like, of course, not very formal the, with a nice blazer. I have also a piece of jacket, actually, I have to tell you, that is an old jacket that I have from Salora that for me is uh, like good luck. So I use it in very special occasion, but especially when I need to feel, you know, comfortable, uh, when I am a little bit, you know, uncomfortable, maybe because uh, I need to give an important talk or I need to you know, speak in front of an audience that is not familiar for me, I usually pick that jacket. I would love your perspective on sustainability and fashion. What's your view on the future of uh, uh, fashion when it comes to sustainability and maybe new good trends that you've seen happening now in the fashion industry market? 
I think that fashion companies are now very much concerned about becoming more sustainable also because we all know that fashion is one of the industries that is most polluting. I mean, at least it was. There is not one single approach to become like more sustainable and to reduce the impact on the environment. I think that the companies are on the one side trying to make some operational changes like reducing the amount of water, for example, that they use for the production of certain products, trying to use materials that are more sustainable. And again, you know, another example of operation is what I mentioned before, trying to be more precise in the amount they produce so that, you know, there is no waste that they need to take care of afterwards. I'm thinking about, for example, some brands have been uh, partnering with uh, second-hand companies such as, for example, the Sierra Collective or the Real Real, trying to support the idea that customer gives back his own jacket or his own bag, uh, will receive some kind of ticket that allows to buy a new product in store. It's a way to keep things going into the business so there is not much waste, right? At the same time, I believe that the uh, idea of having high quality, high-end product that are in many cases like timeless is somehow part of the DNA of this industry that is sustainable since the inception in the sense that, you know, I have jackets that my mother wore 30 years ago and they're still amazing, perfectly like wearable and also somehow uh, make an impact in terms of like uh, messages as we go back to the languages because, you know, they, um, uh, they, they are clearly like vintage. So they say something about the person that has this product before me. Uh, these are all different opportunities for brands from the more like, let's say, tactical one to the more instead like strategic one to try to change this business and make it more sustainable. And this scarcity approach that most of these luxury brands have to make the product a limited quantity, I think will help somehow, right? Because it helps, of course, the brand identity and the brand equity, because of course, it creates a higher aura of exclusivity around the brand. We make, of course, the brand more desirable. At the same time, we'll also somehow educate the customer that you cannot necessarily have what you want to have. That is something that I think in the past years we probably forgot. So we are used to such a velocity and using and buying and consuming things that probably we think that everything can be bought, used and then wasted. And now clearly we are getting the message that this is not always the case. And in this respect, I think that some luxury companies are providing us with a lesson. They are educating us, right? So we need to be patient because luxury products need time also to be produced. Think about a watch, think about a piece of jewelry. You know, they need time. There are like, uh, you know, hours and hours of hands of artisan uh, just uniquely for you. And that's something that we should all go back to, even when we're thinking about how fast-paced and a bit cybernetic is all our life. Going back to the beauty of the waiting, it's also what makes it quite more valuable that good. I think there is a rediscovery, especially in the younger generation, of that, maybe. Or maybe there is a question, a request from the brand to be telling a story, and telling stories takes time. It's not just a 10 seconds video on TikTok. You are a younger person, you are in your 20s, you are really interested in your industry. What would you study? What would you do to enter in such a competitive and also, allow me to say, sometimes a bit elitist uh, industry, very similarly to the one of the news? What would you do? What is your suggestion, uh, Paola? First of all, I think each one of us has a passion 
as a talent that needs to find. And I think that this is the most difficult part of our life to find what is our talent and our passion. But this is the most important part of our life because passion is what drives us and what makes us make the last mile. To work in this industry, I think it's important to be passionate, really passionate, but not just to say, okay, I like dresses. This is not enough. You know, you really need to read the stories, to know everything about uh, what I've been doing in the past designers. It's exactly like what in other, you know, in art, in, in the movie industry, you know, you need to really do your homework, right? And uh, know everything about it. And then you need to think of how your talent can add so what is the extra value that you can add to a brand or to a company that company probably needs? And bringing maybe a bit of innovation and making the brand once you enter, thanks to your creativity or creative thinking, take certain risks. So we are at the very end part of our podcast. And as we usually do, we have two questions for you. So over to Presiana for her first question. Hi everyone, my name is Presiana Karastoyanova. I was a participant uh, of the FT Talent Challenge in 2019. I'm originally from Bulgaria. I'm currently a consultant at McKinsey London, focusing on financial services, but also fashion and apparel. So my question is, what can the luxury industry do to be even more sustainable quicker? Will we see the end of certain materials, for example, such as leather? Will we see more and more in resale and rental? And will that be successful for luxury? Thank you so much. I really look forward to hearing from you. So I think that these are exactly two very important new business models that companies are more and more like trying to embrace for sure. The pre-love product one, so the second end one is probably the most relevant at the moment. And in terms of like the projection on this market are like roughly around more than 30 billion in the next three years. And this for sure, it's an important way to which companies can somehow face the main issues that is related to the overconsumption of fashion and clothing and the leather goods as many of them have already taken this opportunity to try to use these channels as a way to make the product evolve Gucci in particular has created this Gucci vault that is not using platforms they are trying to sell special product uh, you know vintage product through their own channel for the rental, at the moment, there are not very many cases of luxury brands that have been pursuing this strategy, but for sure it's a strategy that is more and more potentially relevant. This is an Italian brand that has created this uh, Please Don't Buy brand. So the idea is that you have this uh, offering of products that are very well made in terms of materials and craftsmanship, and you can rent them for three days for a price that goes between 90 euro to 150 for the most sophisticated ones. In this way, you then return the product that is also insured. So if something happens, you don't have to pay extra. In this way, you can always wear something new. This is a nice idea. And so I hope that this is a potential new business model that for sure will help companies actually become more sustainable, less polluting for our environment. That's very interesting, of course, from a sustainability point of view, but also for our listeners, you don't need to worry anymore about your Instagram feed, as well as from the spilling off of the wine cap or your dress, because there is insurance. So I think this is a very interesting idea, what you mentioned. So we'll definitely check it out. And last question is from Enrique. Over to Enrique. 
My name is Enrique Fernandez Ceca and I was a participant of the FT Talent Challenge Bocconi 2022 edition. I'm originally from Madrid, Spain with an Italian mother, but I'm currently living in London. I recently graduated from Instituto Marangoni and studied a BA in Fashion Business, Communication and New Media that led me in attaining a position here at the Financial Times. I'm currently a luxury and weekend advertising intern. My question is, how do luxury firms approach marketing in lower middle income countries versus high income countries? What are the marketing strategies that help luxury products work in these different contexts? Thank you so much. Looking forward to cross paths sometime soon. Thank you, Erika, for the question. Interesting question. I think this is a strategy on which many companies need to work. At the moment, I think they try to be attractive for their low-income countries, mostly through their entry-level categories, and more than that, probably with the licenses. When I talk about licenses, I talk about you know eyewear or cosmetics, perfumes that are usually like the entry level to the brand. So it's uh, the first things that customers can buy is a way to which uh, somehow they feel part of the brand or the brand community, even if they do not have the highest standing power. You can feel part of the brand by buying like products that is accessible, uh, but uh, still has the mindset of the designer that has ideated that product. We buy products to feel part of the community more than just to express ourselves versus the others. You can uh, you can access the brand in many different ways. There are different ways through which you can be part of the community of a brand that you like. And I think that at the moment, this is mostly like the strategy, so entry-level categories and uh, licenses. Paola, thank you very much for answering to all our questions and uh, walking us through so passionately about your field of expertise that has been, of course, a fashion and luxury brands. So thank you so much. You have been uh, one of the very, very first professors that took part to our first edition. I hope you enjoy the time together. Thank you so much to our listeners of The Talent Show. And thank you again, Paola Cillo. Thank you so much for having me again. This has been The Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent Team, Aya Al-Shihabi, Noor Hafez, and me, Virginia Stani. Our podcast producer is Todd Van Luling. Our editor and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa. Our video producer is Enrique Zeca. And our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time and keep listening.